0: Dano trying to deliver it for the second time. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left field. That's a way to win it right there. Deliver a three-run homer. Danny Jansen with his second game winner of the season. An absolute no-doubter. Three-run home run, Danny Jansen. A 3-0 walk-off win for the Blue Jays in the 10th.
1: Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show. The Toronto Blue Jays avoid a devastating 0-3 hole. (laughs) Slam-O-J-A-N-O. And the Miami Heat are three games away from going to the NBA Finals with Kyle Lowry. I don't have a cool comment for that one. Sorry. Threw that one on you a little bit. But we do have a discussion point from that. And I want to open the text line early because I think it's worth exploring this topic. Five ninety-five ninety. include your name and location if you want to get involved in the conversation. Because I haven't really given this legitimate thought yet. Okay. G- I, think it, I, given know where, that I think I know where you're going, though. The Miami Heat are like a non-competitive team or were a mm-hmm. non-competitive team until Jimmy Butler just decided he wanted to be like an Uber megastar again. Jimmy Butler. Not even again. I guess again, based on, you know, the bubble. Uh... But do we want to see this success from Kyle Lowry? Do we want to see Kyle Lowry win a title yeah. with a different organization? Yeah. Unequivocally. Unaquivoc- Unequivocally. One thousand there's percent. No, like, there's no Kyle bitters-
0: Lowry cheerer right here. There's no bittersweet
1: nature to that if that were to happen? I'd feel differently
0: about it if I felt differently about this rap score. And I realize that's a weird thing to say about a guy who won a title with a lot of those same guys, but I don't think Kyle Lowry, even if you got the absolute best version of what he could give you right now, was the missing piece for the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I have a lot of questions about the other pieces involved there. So, to me, this isn't some, ah, if only he was here. No, you know what would have happened? They would have got an even worse draft pick if if Kyle Lowry was still here. So, unequivocally, it's not quite the Ray Bork, because he actually One here. I want Ray Borkday for Kyle Lowry. I want I want them to unveil his statue while he brings Larry O. B back. I imagine he would take it to Philly, you know, or keep it in Miami, whatever. But if I'm dream scenario here, bring Larry O. B back, have it stand in there beside you as they unveil the Kyle Lowry statue. Mm -hmm. Unequivocally rooting for Kyle Lowry. Impossible not to. And part of that as well is Jimmy Butler. Like Jimmy Butler is a guy who so long as he's not playing the basketball team, I am rooting for. Are against the basketball team I'm rooting for, it's impossible not to watch that guy and love what he gives
1: you. Maybe that's the point. It's like, this is where you won, Kyle. Uh, in Miami, that's where you maybe raised your family or finished the raising process mm-hmm. of your family and enjoyed the beach and enjoyed the yep. Caparinas and enjoyed mm. just life after basketball, your transition into retirement. That's what you were supposed to do there. And that's probably why it was pal- palatable, right? That he was leaving mm-hmm. and going to Miami rather than someone that could be a little bit more of a direct rival. But yeah, go in Miami. And enjoy because you deserve it, and we really, really appreciate what you did here. But if you wins another title, and it's like, oh, you know, it's not just this. It's maybe the biggest moment in your career, maybe, and it probably is still the Raptors' title, given that all all that went into it. But it's like, is it is it kind no, no. of one A one B? No, a second time with Miami. It, it'll all one. The first one is always more special. Like, you is know,
0: it though? And two he will be an instrumentally bigger figure with the Raptors and everything here. Now Kawhi Leonard was the guy What if he but, takes down LeBron in the NBA Finals? So I think that there is something there if you are somebody who unseats the King, that is definitely a massive massive accomplishment, but let's not forget who Kyle Lowry and the Raptors unseated it was the team of the moment the team of the decade, it was Curry and the Warriors and we don't need to get into the Kevin Durant was hurt and how legitimate, and guess what super legitimate because I could go look at the hat I have at home that says 2019 champs on it so it happened to count it everything there and I I get your point about LeBron but I think that what he was to the Raptors what he will be quite honestly probably forever or well forever is a really long time but for the foreseeable future hey Scotty Barnes take that as a direct challenge and a shot go ahead be a better Raptor than Kyle Lowry was probably not going to happen so it outside of him basically taking over as Eric Spolstra's heir apparent. And guess what? Eric Spolstra ain't going anywhere. There needs to be another part of his Heat legacy to even come close to matching what he did here in Toronto. Also, the other part of it is that that Heat title, albeit special for him, special for Butler, they've done it before. They, you think Honestly, when you think back, and there's something about a scrappy team that overperforms, but when people think back to great Heat teams, they're going to remember Wade and Shaq. They're going to remember the Heatles. And if this team gets it done, of course, they'll think fondly of this group. But it is not going to be remotely on the same stratosphere as what those two groups meant to that organization. So that's why that's why I have no ill will. I actually think it's a perfect scenario. I would have loved him to have been a Laker and played alongside LeBron. I would have loved to have seen that uh, myself. I just wanted him to go somewhere. He could find happiness and he could actually win. There was actually, now that I think about it, I don't know that there was a knife-twisty franchise It'd be different if this Raptors team was more competitive, but they're not. So honestly, just unequivocally happy
1: for them. Yeah, there's a good separation there in that the Raptors are a non-competitive organization at the moment. The Miami Heat did win game one of the Eastern Conference final, 123-116 over the Boston Celtics. In Boston, 45-point third quarter. It looked like Boston was going to cruise to a victory. They are the most up-and-down Jekyll and Hyde team going. They can look like world beaters. They can look like an absolute embarrassment. Jason Tatum looked uh, the latter in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh but yeah I guess there's the one aspect of this is that hey uh if you go back to the NBA finals if you do it with the Heat you added to the torment of the Boston Celtics in mm-hmm. doing so which was something Raptors fans can appreciate I will ask you though cuz you're a LeBron guy I am if it's LeBron versus Kyle in the NBA finals yeah. where are you leaning
0: that is, this is not, a, not who you think. No, no, wear, no. Who you want to? Wear. This is a bad answer to give. This is the ultimate. Like, I guess we'll find out by eight forty-five of Game One, ten minutes into the tip. I don't know. My heart of hearts, I think it's LeBron. Like, I actually do think that's what I want to see. There is nothing I would love more than all of us to have thought that the whole Michael MJ rings thing was dead. And then, oh, lo and behold, look at that. LeBron has six. Mm -hmm. That would be my favorite thing in sports outside of the Leafs winning a cup. So I think it's the Lakers. But... Honestly, if I if I see Kyle Lowry and that that big rump of his taking a charge against LeBron or something like that, I'm going to get sucked all the way back in. So that is going to be an ultimate. There is no losing for me watching that finals. Should, should we get it. But I think I'd probably be leaning towards LeBron, which is funny because my whole life as a basketball fan just hated the Lakers. Hated, hated, hated. But now I, I got to gotta go for the purple and gold cuz my guy.
1: Yeah, I'll go LeBron too. And it's not because I just want Lowry to do his winning in Toronto. It's not there's a little yeah, it selfish sounds like it's there's a bit little enough. selfish tinge to it, but also and more importantly, I think the LeBron discussion is the most fascinating one. If he continues to add to the legacy. This guy's been the NBA my entire conscious life it's of amazing. watching the NBA. It is amazing. Like I don't remember the NBA before <laughs> LeBron James. And I get that's ridiculous, but I wasn't really an NBA fan hey, man. before it's LeBron not. James showed up. And I wasn't really, you know, I, I don't remember anything after uni- or before university. So that that's besides the point. During? <laughs> or during university. But... Yeah, like, I don't remember an NBA without LeBron James and that he's still doing it, that he can still win a title, that he's still this dominant force when my body, and I'm younger than him, is breaking down actively. Like, it is very, very impressive. And I don't have a million dollars to spend on my body every year like LeBron, but it's still very, very impressive. Breaking news at 6.08. Brent Gunning and Justin Cuthbert, if you
0: add all the athleticism in their families, still not as athletic as uh, as LeBron James there. Yeah, a no, bit of a stretch. I, I, I'm with you. Again, like, I, I have been... I genuinely think like the reason I love sports is because I grew up loving the Leafs and everything kind of spans from there. But I really genuinely in my heart of hearts think the reason I do this for a living was arguing on the internet with strangers about LeBron James and how dare you put all of Cleveland's failures on him. So I am just in the tank for the guy. I will wholly admit it. I am biased, eat it all up, but guess what? Would not be remotely sad to see uh, Kyle Lowry take home another chip.
1: Good old Braun needs a victory, though. Uh, Game two of the Western Conference final goes tonight. The Lakers are down 1-0 in their series to the Denver Nuggets. Same spread. Denver, five-and-a-half point favorite. I think there were six-point favorites in game one. I would have hit if it was five-and-a-half. They just barely covered, but they were in control of that game uh, for the most part. Let's get to the Toronto Blue Jays because we've been neglecting them just a little bit. And it was a big, big night at Rogers Center last night. A frustrating one for uh, the large portion of it. The Blue Jays left, what? 15 runners stranded think, during I, the course of the game. I heard Tale, there's still a couple guys. They wanted them to learn
0: a lesson Whit's about, still about on him second standing base. there just saying, you know what? You sleep there tonight. That's your home. You guys like stay. you guys like leaving men on base so much.
1: Here, you could stay there all night long. Yeah, Whit Merrifield curled up around second base uh, currently. Uh, Kevin yeah.
0: Biggio still frozen watching a line drive <laughs> that he's going to get doubled up on. I go,
1: I wonder what's going to happen here.
0: Maybe if I just stand perfectly still, everything will work itself out. Yeah, the team with <gasps> all the fundamentals is uh, not freezing. Not even just the team online drives that guy. That's that's what you're here for is to make the smart play to be scrappy to be able to do everything a little bit of it. You cannot make that base running Let, mistake. You just cannot. Let's get the negativity okay, right. out of the way first because they did win 3 yes, nothing walk yeah, off Danny Jansen, great. Which stuff. I love
1: talking about. Electric. Danny Jansen, clutch gene, real big, thing. Big, big win, maybe the biggest of the season. Uh, for many, though, it was the straw that broke the camel's back uh, for Kevin Vigio because he seems like he's been hanging on, a, on by a thread mm-hmm. here for the majority of this season, uh, not really delivering any value despite the assertion from John Schneider that, you know, this is a guy who's going to bring value over the course of the season or he's going to be of value. At some point this season and yet At this point it really hasn't Manifested itself in any way And he does free or fail to freeze Rather on a line drive gets doubled Out uh, doubled up it's Another example of the Blue Jays giving Away an opportunity to take take Control of the game again they Did win the game so it doesn't hurt you Mm -hmm. That that much but uh, you know, his inability to do anything at the plate now coupled by his ability to be a pinch runner or inability to be a pinch runner and do pinch running things. Uh, for many people, they were like, this is the end. Let's move on. The Kevin Biggio era is over in Toronto. So if Cavan Biggio is going to be not somewhere near, but
0: at the absolute bottom of the pecking order in terms of guy coming off the bench. And I know no one wants to hear this this morning. I'm the king of coming on the radio and telling people that what they don't want to hear. But. If he's going to be the last guy on the bench, I actually think there is a point to him being on this team because – in a pinch, and I don't mean a pinch, I mean like in a break, like someone breaks their hand or their hammy gets shot or whatever. He is still the guy on this team, and I know Whit Merrifield does a bit of this, but he is still the guy on the team who can play the most positions and get you out of the most jams. Now, can he play them above average or even average at some times? No, not all of the times. but I do understand using him as a break glass in case of emergency. If he's the Nathan Lukes of this team who's barely getting in, then I kind of understand it, even though no one wants to see it. But the problem with that is that John Schneider will never see him that way. We have seen it. He got to take away his toys. We've seen it a million times, the million different coaches in this city. Nick Nurse falls in love with guys. Babs fell in love with guys. You see Keith fall in love with guys. Hello, Alex Kerfoot. And we know the guy John Schneider has fallen in love with. And look, he's not going to tell you that Cavan Biggio is the best player on the Blue Jays and the most important one. But as a manager, I can only imagine how safe it would feel To look at the end of the dugout and go, that guy could go anywhere I want other than catcher. It's just a thing that would make him feel very comfortable. So I understand the frustration on everyone's part there. And because he is shown he cannot use restraint, I do think there's a case to be made for getting someone else here, bringing up somebody else who's on the 40-man from the minors. I understand that, but that's a conversation with John Schneider, and that is the thing about growing as a coach, growing as a manager. Do you need your toys taken away, or can you use it when it's time to as opposed to using it all the time?
1: Uh, we have evidence to support the theory that the love affair is still raging. Uh, Schneider was asked about Biggio
2: in the postgame and delivered this response. It's tough, read. You. you just got to know where your defense is, and, you know, with nobody out there, just be a little bit more cautious. You know, Cav's a great base runner. You know, he's got great instincts, and, um, you know, you— yeah, he's at least to your worries when he's in the bases, really. But it was a weird play. Probably thought Kirkie hit a little bit harder. Volpe made a nice play. Um, you know, you kind of just flush that one out. But Cavs, Cavs, one of our better base runners.
1: Uh, staying true to his word, Biggio did go back out there in the 10th as the uh, mm-hmm. the automated runner yes. on second base and did round the bases as Danny Jansen. Would have, been, would have been hard to screw that one up. Yeah, would have been hard to screw that one up, although uh, <laughs> I'm sure he was uh, you know minding his P's and Q's at that point given what had happened he, a few he needed, innings earlier. Let me,
0: put it, let me put it this way. He needed to see the ball land before he was going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, there was not going to be an early trot coming
1: out of Cavan. No. Uh, so, yeah, massive victory for the Blue Jays in 10 innings. Danny Jansen the hero for the second time in four days that he delivered a walk-off hit. It's easy to remember that because they the previous two games, yeah, not the good. New York Yankees have not been good, and it's been a lot of negativity. And there's been like sort of the assertion that they've been sort of big brothered, come unglued a mm-hmm. little bit. John Schneider's calling opposing coaches – or a fat shaming opposing coaches. We won't say it because we're still.
0: No, I, no, <laughs> I talked say with our today? bosses. You yeah. Say yeah, today? yeah. I want to clarify this. I was all like mealy mouth. Like, I don't know what John Schneider said. I know what John Schneider said. He yeah, said, shut up fat boy to one of the Yankees <laughs> coaches. Okay. That's what John Schneider said. I'm not going to mm. say it
1: again, but I could say it once to say anything once. So a little positivity. Now, uh, after getting a victory, and now that I'd we know also like we can to say point we're out, more
0: positive. I'd also like to point out that was a bit of positivity. Like, it was not being exactly. positive on John Schneider's thing. But that's all you ever want is there is nothing worse. We, again, because everything in the world goes back to the Leafs. What have we talked about? If I got to stand there watching Austin Matthews watch somebody get punched in the face one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. John Schneider's team was proverbially getting punched in the mouth a little mm-hmm. bit. And he had something to say. So, do it. you know, am I going to sit here and condone it? Yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, I do condone it.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I definitely understand that. And I love when the Blue Jays push back because it felt like for years they didn't have pushback. Uh, it- <laughs> well, for years, the pushback was all internal. It was like Ted Lilly and
0: John Gibbons having a fight in the clubhouse. And, and it Shea was writing, it- do it for yourself on a whiteboard. Yeah. And John Rouch trying to fight the ump. It's nice yeah. to see the fight going
1: elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and I and I felt like some of that, like, we've seen the Yankees come in here before and just own them. And we've been talking, we t- mentioned a couple things from the past uh, yesterday, but they've had this big brother thing for a very long time. And I guess uh, aside from being like ultra professional and just getting the job done at the plate, not going for 15 with runners in scoring position, like that's the best way to deal Mm -hmm. with a team that's trying to come (laughs) into your building and push them around. But if not, you have to bark back and they're barking back and that's all fine. But our tone would be so much more different today if they had lost the first three games of the series. They Mm -hmm. continue spiraling against ALE's competition and they don't really have an answer for the Yankees at the plate on the mound uh even in the managerial uh, spot like th- it would it would look really really ugly if Danny Jansen didn't come up with that hit because to that point in the series the one team that's like just a little bit more assertive, comfortable mm-hmm. in the situations, playing, you know, winning the game outside of the game. Well, that belongs to the New York Yankees, you know, more than maybe they should be allowed with Domingo Herman and, of course, mm-hmm. the st- uh, the sign stealing and everything that went into it. But the Blue Jays did bite back. Now they have a chance to even the series today with Jose Barrios mm-hmm. on the mound versus Nestor Cortez. And a weird little stat from this it's game. It's a really interesting pitching matchup. Just it, is, it, it is a good pitching matchup. Um, a weird stat from, you know, just where the Blue Jays are right now. It's May 18th. That was their first win on, like, a weekday. Friday, to, Friday <laughs> <That's> through, <wild. laughs> Friday through Sunday, the Blue Jays are money, sweeping the Pirates, sweeping the Braves, can't do anything from Monday to how Thursday, many people, and that's so crazy how because many we with do jobs. shows. We do shows Monday to Thursday, yeah. right? And we have we have Just not really picked up on that. But when have we came into the studio and be like, "Oh, they won yesterday." How many, we haven't done that in May. How many people with jobs who like you know? Again, like it's early in the baseball season.
0: We are all lockstep in it, but you know the guy who oh, the Jays are in town. I'm going to go to a game this weekend. They must think the Jays are. Unbelievable. 27 Yankees stuff if you watch the Jays uh, only on the weekend. You know, I was also thinking about something else, and uh, we didn't talk about this, but I'll throw it at you here. So Volpe, Yankee shortstop, they're talking about him like heir apparent to Jeter, he's going to be the next guy, whatever. Okay, long career ahead of him, I'm sure. And he boots a couple of balls last night. One of them a tougher play than the other, but probably should have had both of them. Now, I think immediately when I saw that of Bobachette, And it was just a little reminder. Now, the difference I will point out is that Bobachette has uh, been in his major league career for quite a while now. (laughs) Nearly fully formed. Nearly fully formed. But it was just a nice reminder that it is not just, like, this is not just a Toronto thing. Like, people will be put at the shortstop position, and maybe they should be there, maybe they shouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched all Volpe's games to know exactly, you know, how... you know, acquitted he is at that part of his game, but I just a it was a really nice reminder that Bachet, one, hasn't had one of those moments in a little while, so good on him, but two also of, like, we need that to they realize don't have this Derek is cheater not. anymore. Well, is no, a it's good good not, no, no, it's just not a Toronto thing. Like okay. I think and this is maybe just a reminder for myself. I get so bogged down of why is it that okay, so the Blue Jays, they've got this great young core, Vladdy has his MVP season will down year. Why is it the Bachette has got to be at this premium position? Well, because other teams will try guys at this premium position. And the Yankees are not in some try year to borrow josh donaldson's term they're gonna get-it-done year for for this team right now so the idea of putting that guy there needing him to be good at that position it's just again a, a reminder that as dire as things can seem with Bichette and the position the blue jays are in now mm-hmm. we'd rather have bo bachette than anthony volpe and think about how we all
1: think of the yankees uh you wouldn't rather have chris bassett than garrett cole but no <laughs> you maybe last night you would yeah. have uh G- chris bassett this was, again, uh, we talked about this yesterday, first opportunity for a lot of people who are diehard Leaf fans to see this guy yes, since right. he Leaf absolutely night. blew up uh, in, his, uh, in his debut for the organization uh, three games into the season. Um, and now we know what we were missing out on because Chris Bassett is a baseball savant. He is a pitching savant. The juxtaposition between him and Alec Manoa right now yep. is pretty unbelievable because Chris Bassett... Is out there throwing between what ninety-five and seventy, yep. mixing it up, hitting every quadrant. I think he it, got to ninety-four and Buck and Dan were like, Ooh, last night. Yeah. Okay. Just to
0: put in perspective of how of how not mm. busting up the gun he is. Yeah. So
1: a 24, 24 to twenty-five difference in in how he can change speeds miles per hour. Uh, a guy who I think we're like hyperbolizing this. How many pitches he actually has? But does he I've have heard. complete control of at least eight? I think I think that's safe to say he's got complete control of at least eight. And then you got Alec Manoa, the ace of this mm-hmm. of this staff, who has control of maybe one and is struggling maybe to the extent that he is. Like Chris Bassett's unbelievable Chris Bassett's ability and he's, his demeanor is something to, to to watch too, where he just looks like so aloof and he's like. Wasting no energy at all and just kind of meandering around the mound. It doesn't look serious until he throws the ball. Anyway, his ability to have complete control of everything is keeping opponents off balance to the extent that he's emerging as one of the best pitchers in the American League right now. And if you take out that first Mm -hmm. first, uh, outing, that outlier outing that he still had no explanation for after the fact... I mean, he's been one of the more reliable, been one of the more dominant pitchers in the American League, and he's on a legendary run right now. He's already got the third longest shutout streak in franchise history with 27 straight clean innings. He trails only Dave Steve and Roger Clemens. Steve did it over the course of two seasons. So really, in a single season, in what in the context of one year and the the form being what it is, he's got the second longest active streak in the history of this organization right now. Has not given up an uh, an earned run, a run at all uh, in uh, three May starts. He's been unbelievable for this team and an upgrade on Ross Stripling. Uh, an upgrade on the Alec Manoa experience, a guy who's carrying the load for them right now, where it seems like everyone else is a question mark.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'll i put my hand up. I did not see this coming from Chris Bassett. I didn't know that it would look quite like the first start. I expected it to look more like that than it's looked lately. I think a big part of it is just a comfortability with whoever's calling the game. Now, it's mostly him. They talked about this on the broadcast last night. You know, him and him and Jansen, him and Kirk, they've worked on these things in, in terms of the way they communicate, in terms of what's to expect of you know calling pitch type versus calling pitch location and obviously for a guy with the the eight pitches or however many he's going to say he has in his repertoire it really does take time to kind of get that, that all set up and, ha- and not just get set up and an understanding of what you're doing, but a trust, a faith in one another. You know, Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen, as much as we talk about does Bassett have faith in them, it's got to go the other way for the, the other way as well. Like respect is a two-way street. They have got to feel confident in what he's doing and that he has the right kind of feel for his game. Now he's a starting pitcher. He knows his pitches. I would hope he has a feel for it. Uh, the other thing that I think kind of, and this is like, you're not going to need this out of him on any given night, made a great athletic play. Which I did not know he had yeah. in him. Brendan Belt kind of booted the ball at, at first there, and then he had to make a like diving tag. I didn't actually think he got him, but the the way the Yankee reacted, you knew there was there was no pushback there. Just everything you want out, out of Bassett, and honestly. Where would this team be without him? Like, I know other guys have, have stepped up, but with Kikuchi, you know, Barrios a little less. So you're thinking, okay, how long can this go on for? This is what Chris Bassett's supposed to be. This is why you paid him money. Mm-hmm. Is he supposed to be this in the third year of the deal? Well, we'll, we'll have the Hunjim Ryu conversation about that when that time comes. But for right now, this isn't something, you know, this isn't, The shutout streak is obviously a little above what you would expect from him, but this is a
1: guy you paid to be great and he's being good. So, yeah. Or this is a guy you expect to be good and he's been great. So unassuming on the mound, unassuming athletically, too. Like, that was a great play that he made. Like, he looks like he looks just like a regular dude. Yeah. He looks he, like a regular he, he dude. He did look like me after that play getting up. I'm
0: just like, <laughs> why did that have to happen? I didn't I would have been fine with just trotting to uh, to first base instead yeah, of having to do that.
1: But he's uh he's definitely getting it done. Uh Kevin Barker mentioned something on Blair and Barker after the Manoa start uh, against the Yankees the other night. And suggested that the Blue Jays can't make the playoffs unless he turns it around, and I immediately scoffed at that because I'm like, "Well, you didn't have Kikuchi last year, you didn't have Barrios last Mm -hmm. year, you didn't have you had Ross Stripling, but you didn't have this version of Chris Bassett. Like, there's there's a bit of a difference between what we've seen from Bassett and what we saw from Ross Stripling. There was a lot of question marks, and yes, Cy Young nominated season. Uh, I understand that if you lose that, it's devastating, but uh, there might be something to it uh, now that I think about it a little bit more because Jose Barrios while he was a bit of a pumpkin sometimes. He also had mm-hmm. great starts. Uh, and they did find a way to nibble around. But the other consideration is, look at this division. You might need five starters yeah. to advance past uh, the regular season in this division because the Baltimore Orioles don't let up. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Rays are the best team in baseball. we just seen what the Yankees can do, and they're se- they seem to have that sense of urgency already. And the Boston Red Sox are a pretty good team, too. This, this division is unbelievable, and it might take... It might take um, Bassett and Kikuchi and Barrios and Gosman being what they are and that turnaround from Alec Manoa in order to get there.
0: Yeah, I when, I when I look at it with the idea of can this team make the playoffs if Manoa keeps scuffling like this, probably not, but there's definitely a possibility. There's a roadmap there with the way those other guys are pitching, but it goes back to the thing I just said about that of, okay, Barrios, if you want to buy into that a little more, that's okay. I don't think I'm all the way there yet given the way last season went. And Kikuchi... I don't know. Until this goes on for... I know we're a few starts into the season now, but like I kind of feel like we need to get to the halfway point of the season before I'm totally bought in on this. This guy was not a little rough last year. It was a lot rough. Mm -hmm. And then Gosman and Bassett, I believe you're going to continue to get what you've got out of them, but having two to three question marks, and I think it's fair to say Manoa is definitely a question mark right now, and then I think it is a a fair presumption to me to make that one of Kikuchi or Barrios on any given day can turn into a question mark again. That is just no way to go about life. And forget about it. They can get in the playoffs with that. That's not, that's not the point. The point is not to get in the playoffs. And I understand people are going to say, yes, it is. If you get in, anything can happen. Well, if you get in, anything can happen. But the point of that is that Alec Manoa is Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman is Kevin Gosman. Then you have your three great starters to throw in a series. If all of a sudden it is Gosman and it's it is, it is uh, it's Bassett, and Manoa's a question mark. Do you feel great that it's Barrios and the do-or-die game three in a wild-card series or something like that? I don't think anybody's there yet. So mm. I, I am with you, or I, I understand the point Barker's making of could they get in. Yeah, there's a roadmap that they could get in if Manoa continues to be this guy, but who cares if they can get in? That's not what the season's about. The season is about making a run and making a push and doing something that the beloved Blue Jays of
1: 2015 never did and actually go win the World Series. Uh, I got three more things, one good, one bad, one confusing. I'll run them down. You can jump on whichever one you think is interesting. Uh, Jordan Romano, two innings out there just basically exclusively throwing heaters and having success with it. Mm -hmm. That was great. Uh, Dalton Varsho cannot bat third in this lineup. He's struggling. The meat Mm -hmm. of this order is really letting this team down. We've seen real contributions from the bottom. Bo and Vladdy have been mostly very good, um, but... Dalton Varshow, I think, is wearing the struggles of this lineup the most right but- now. And the last thing is, okay, so we banned the shift, but in the 10th inning, the Yankees had five infielders. Like, w- make sense of that one for me. Like, if, they're, if you're not allowing a shift, why are you allowing a fifth fielder to stand in the infield? I don't understand that whatsoever. I'm not going to pretend I understand it, but I actually loved it. I was like, I think you should be able to do
0: that. Like, the whole... I understand the point of banning the shift. You want more balls in play, but... You, like, you don't want to take away the ability to play defense. That's what you do. You bring the infield You have to play
1: defense in your position.
0: I don't... You don't create new positions. I'll be honest. I, like... I have no qualms with that. I think that is very much in the spirit of baseball. I think the crazy shifting we got to where you would see ridiculous alignments and things that you would have never seen on a baseball field 20 years ago. I think there was a too, a bridge too far with the way shifting went. And I, I'll be honest, I have no idea the machinations that allow them to do that. Obviously, there are the rules, but as they showed on the broadcast last night, even the umps were a little confused about where the guy's allowed to stand. Does he have to stay on a certain side of the bag and, and all of that, but I had no qualms with that, and I'm, and I'm happy they banned the shift, but I think that that should still very much be a part of the game of baseball is the idea of you have a man on third. It has to be a bang-bang play to home. It's the only way you can do it. You have to bring the infield in. There is no other way to to defend that. So I understand where you're coming from. I just could see it completely differently. No qualms with it. And I thought it was, and, you know, if I'm going to give Schneider, you know, if I'm going to slap him on the wrist for his love of Kevin Biggio, that was a great job by him to throw the umpires into a tizzy. Because if they don't know, it was probably a good question to ask, is all I'll say
1: there. Yeah, if you're the Yankees and you're going to bring a fifth infielder in, maybe don't uh, throw something that Danny Jansen can get in the air with relative ease Well, and that definitely that And we got to talk about jano
0: here because it seems like all the guy ever does is is get big knocks in in big moments but from the yankees perspective you know we always talk about it of you got to be drilled down and aaron boone he's been this manager for so long they bring in his dribble cabrera he's the extra infielder there and he's the guy who screwed up the play. Now, it ended up not mattering because Jansen just swatted out of the park, so who cares who's standing where on the diamond, but they had the double play available to them, and Cabrera didn't cover, cover. so Volpe had to go to first, then you got runners on the corner. Again, Jano has a three-run bomb. It's a, it's a complete moot point, but for a team that is supposed to be championship caliber and needs to make the right play, that was just a flat-out, not knowing where you're supposed to go. It was clear as day. Cabrera's playing it like a shortstop. It's hit to my right. I don't need to cover second base. Why would I? I'm the shortstop. But guess what? There was a shortstop there, and you were the closest guy to second base. So he 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 booted it there. Again, just take a nice reminder that great baseball teams that we think could go on to win the World Series, they will make these mind-numbing mistakes too. And we should yell at them about it, mm. but don't have it as a some fatal flaw that only affects the Blue Jays.
1: I was going to say this, but let's just conclude the Blue Jays discussion here. Yep. Uh, Chris Bat, Bass- It it seems like I mean he was a known quantity He was a guy that was very reliable But things changed this year with the pitch clock And pitch calm Mm. And it seems like despite what happened In his first start where he looked confused By the pitch calm and he looked confused By the pitch clock that Specifically pitch calm should help Him more than anyone else because He's got this wide array and he Gets to punch it in without any confusion In communication with a catcher He just gets to worry about himself do you see PitchCom being like the thing that helps? Maybe, and again, we don't know what's happening mm-hmm. with the Milwaukee Brewers fourth starter who might love PitchCom. But do you ex- do you think that at least in the context of the Blue Jays teams, we've seen that Chris Bassett was made for PitchCom? I think there's probably something to it. And just thinking of it from myself, you
0: know, if you're somebody who is a little more direct, if you're more deliberate, if you want to work faster, the idea of not having to. Shake-off sign. Okay. It's like I can only imagine if you're somebody, you're Mark Burley, and I know that he never shook, so it's it's a moot point. But if you're Mark Burley and you just want to get through your game fast and you would like to throw a curveball. And there's fastball sign in the shake. And there's a changeup sign in the shake. And there's a split sign in the shake. There's a slide. Okay, like it can only be so frustrating. Just give me what I want. I know what I want. I can't signal it to you. Now you have the pitch com, and you actually can. You can just boop boop, and it's as simple as that. So I think they're personality wise. I don't even think it's so much a athletic performance thing. I think it is more based on your your personality. And then like you said with Bassett, there's something to the guy that he has so many pitches. Maybe that helps him. But I think it's more a personality thing than it is an actual kind of place style thing as to why guys benefit from it.
1: They could have had an idea, but I'm not sure the Blue Jays could have expected uh, that this role, this situation fits Bassett as good as it has. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Schneider was asked about Bassett uh, after yesterday's game uh, about him being the pitcher. They knew he was when they signed him. Let's go to
2: that now. He's, he's like the total pro, you know, it's exactly what we knew when we signed him is the way he competes, um, the way he can kind of adjust on the fly. Um, the back-to-back-to-back starts basically, you know, I think it just really shows that he's um, comfortable and confident, and he's executing at a very high level, so it's, um, it's nice to have that. You know, you, f- you feel good about all of our guys, really, all of our five guys, and, um, you know, to have Chris really step up today was, was huge. Okay,
1: busy day of guests. We got Jason Buchel on at 7, Adam Stanley to pee up the 105th PGA Championship, which starts today at My 7.30. Uh, 8 a.m., we got John Rose. He will talk Jay's Yankees. And at 8.30, we got a treat. We got Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada and our NHL insider here at Sportsnet. Uh, we're going to discuss many topics with him, but two in particular, that being uh, the Kyle Dubas situation with the Toronto Maple Leafs. There's still no news and oh, also, actually,
0: I was under the impression Elliot was saving it for us at 8:30. Well, that might be the case. I don't know. I want to be clear. So there's no, no news. Yet. No
1: one's told me that. That's just like a little tingle in so my heart. So be here at 8:30 yep. when we have news. Yep. Uh, no news yet, though. So it's going to be great to ask him about that, and we'll ask him about the Arizona Coyotes situation for us. I want to start with the Maple Leafs just quickly here. No news, no leaks. Do continue's for anyone who's listening to the show this week that we're going to squeeze in just we're a touch of A couple news. minutes. A yeah. couple minutes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we assume he's negotiating with MLSE still. We thought there wasn't going to be much of a negotiation and just a decision. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is do you expect to hear something today? If it's good news.
0: Now, I. I suppose different parties out there would have different opinions on what good news is. And I understand that Kyle Dubas isn't going to, and his family aren't going to necessarily be beholden to the public relations whims of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But, you know, generally speaking, in this business, in politics, in news of any kind, good news comes out when you can talk about it, and bad news comes out when you can't. So if we get a uh, press release from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment sometime uh, Friday evening or late Friday afternoon, I think that probably means Dubas won't be back. And there's going to be a search for a general manager, and I think that, even people who want change would feel a little uneasy about knowing what the future of that holds that that's just my opinion on that. Again, we'll ask for I'll probably posit that exact theory to him. Mm-hmm. I think if we hear something today. It's good news. And in my opinion, the best news for the Toronto Maple Leafs is Kyle Dubas coming back as general manager. I've been pretty steadfast in that since the end of it. My, my thinking evolved a little bit, but I, I keep ending up at the same point that I think Kyle Dubas is the right guy to steer the ship given his, given what he's done, given his understanding of the landscape involved. And yeah, I think we, now the other part of this as well is I understand people are frustrated and they're ornery and they want a decision now and they want to know. I very much would love to know who is going to be driving the car of the Toronto Maple Leafs, an incredibly important off season for them. But as of yet, there's nothing that they're missing out on. There is nothing that cannot be or that can be done that's not happening right now because the Leafs don't have a GM in place. Now, if this drags on into the middle of the next week, I think we're very much bumping into timelines. But uh, to well, my when, note, when,
1: when when, in your opinion, are
0: we bumping? OK, so here's the thing. If Joel Quenville gets hired tomorrow by Team X to be their head coach. I think it is a fair conversation to have of did the Leafs drag their feet too far and is that a very Mm -hmm. viable head coach candidate that they just missed out on, if that happened. Now, I don't think it needs to be the be-all and end-all. I don't think you need to get your business done so you can hire Quenville. I'm not saying he has to be the coach of the team, but I think it is a very fair question to ask. I don't even know if it's a fair criticism to Levy, but I think it's a fair question to ask if a guy like Quenville is off the board saying, okay, did you just miss out on an opportunity to do something? If there was, and let me just tell you, in Gary Bettman's NHL. There won't be but if there was a blockbuster NHL trade in the conference finals and you had a team that was taking on JT Miller's money and I'm only using him not because of the player but because of the cap hold that's available there or a team completely rehauled their young core and traded out pieces to get an established piece in then yes levy the criticism because obviously that was a move that the Leafs should have been interested in but to this point as frustrating as it all is They technically can't talk to Matthews. They're not going to be in the business of trading Marner or Nylander right now. Again, if this goes on to if Friday comes next week or even probably the middle of next week comes, I think these are all fair things Mm -hmm. to have. But the timeline crunch, as much as it's real in terms of the six, seven weeks we're looking at here... If it's six, seven days, I don't know that it is the absolute be-all and end-all. And I understand where people are frustrated. You're allowed to be. You should be. You're frustrated. It just means you care. But the worst the worst decisions in life, generally speaking— are made of a point when your back's against the wall or you're making it because you're frustrated and you don't want Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Operating that way.
1: Uh, 43 days till July 1, meaning 43 days until Austin Matthews can sign an extension. Kyle Dubas will be out of a job. Mitch Marner has a no movement clause. Mm -hmm. Lots of things in 43 days. So the clock is ticking. I do agree with you for the most part, but we are getting to bluffing time. We are getting to uh, the game of chicken time. Like eventually here, we got to make a decision because there are going to be important, Impactful moves happening around the NHL sooner than later. Yep. So they've identified and the Kyle second Dubis. one. Domino falls. Fair criticism. Sure, uh, uh, but Kyle Dubas is their preferred candidate. So you do not walk away just because he wants 24 to 48 to 72 hours to make a decision. You have to wait on him, but you can only wait so long. So they've got to identify when that is. I assume it'll be the end of the week. Yeah, the- I, I think it just makes sense. 40 days starting Monday yeah. to to make move, Like 40 days is is you know probably a good time. Not a good time, actually a very pressurized right. time. But nice round number. I don't yeah. think you can get that another week to like, th- and then we're really talking here. Guys like Joe Quenville aren't just going to sit around no. and wait forever because they're trying to get back in the league. No,
0: and I think that's fair. The other part of this as well that we kind of forget with the time crunch aspect of this as well is, and I I only say if because you know you always have to understand the possibility that it was a negotiating ploy, but. If the pressure is as real on Kyle Dubas' family as he says it is, and why wouldn't it be, what do you think the weekend looks like or feels like in the Dubas' house if a decision hasn't been made yet? And again, I don't think... Like, you know, they got kids, they're in school, they're doing daycare Mm drop-offs or whatever. I don't think the people they interact with on a day-to-day basis are sitting there going, what are you going to do? Make your call. But it's just the thing you feel when you're, you know, I think this is part of the Mitch Marner of it all. I don't think people are coming up to Mitch Marner in the streets and saying, you need to play better in the playoffs. I think he sees somebody looking at him and going, oh, that's Mitch Marner. And then in his head, he knows, ah, they're thinking this, they're thinking that. Mm -hmm. So just the internal pressure that's there, I don't see why Dubis would want this to drag on any longer than it absolutely needs to for him to make a decision. Now, the negotiation part of it, that's something we can ask Friedman about because it's... Now, you won't hear a release of, okay, Dubas is coming back, and now this is just a negotiation, but I wonder could it get to that point over the weekend where we haven't heard anything but a decision has actually been
1: made. Okay, let me ask you this. Sure. Is there any reason to be concerned that he's mentally fit to do the job or because like if this is a consideration, look, we all have issues in our lives mm-hmm. and we all probably wish, you know, we had an exit at some time at some point, totally. but the reality for us and the reality for 98% of the people that walk this earth is that you can't just be like you know things are tough, and I don't want to do it right now. Okay, like, so right? You know what? Like you know it's what? An, an, an immense position of privilege that Kyle Dubas is in. His job is a privileged one, mm-hmm. and he's got he's made enough money where he could be like, yeah, I'm cool right now. I don't want to do this anymore, right? Like that. Yep. That is a massive position of privilege. So if it is hurting him, if it is weighing that heavily, and I get. You know, when you're you're doing a normal job, uh, well, let me let me. The pressures aren't the same, let me, but there are pressures in everyone's life. Well,
0: so I have a very personal example of this. Okay? okay, we don't need to go into the absolute particulars of it. DM me on Twitter, and if I feel like answering, I'll answer. If you're that curious, sure. okay? There was a role I held right here, Sportsnet five 59 to the fan. It was not good for my mental health. I felt it was a good thing for me to do, climb the corporate ladder, all that stuff. I flat out could not hack it. Uh, mental health, all these things, we can get into it. Again, you got questions, DM me if I feel like answering, I feel like answering. And I was unfit to do that job. I had to take a step back. Now, people are going to think I'm just singing Kumbaya for our corporate overloads. They're very good about giving me space, giving me time, giving me a bit of a demotion to figure out what I want to do it. Hey, look at me now. Here I am. Okay. But I think it is a very fair question to ask about Kyle Dubas. Now I don't, I understand people asking it. I don't think anybody can have insight into his mental fitness outside of him uh, you know, a doctor, anybody he's talking to in that regard, his family, and probably Brendan Shanahan and Kyle D uh, or Sheldon Keefe. I think it is that <laughs> they're so connected at the hip. I turned them into one guy. I think that is how tight the inner circle is now. Maybe mm. Pritam, maybe Spezza. You understand what I'm saying, though? Those guys, they would have a good handle on it. We've all worked with we've we've all worked with people, or you know, a buddy, and you're like, oh man, they okay? They seem like they're kind of going through it right now. People can judge that and gauge it. Fair question to ask. I don't think anybody on the outside of it can have a lick of insight into that, but I do think it's a very, very fair question to ask, and I think that's why it's all particular for the personalities involved. They would know. They can. They would know, okay, Kyle, you got a busy summer ahead of you. Is it going to be good if we effectively, now it doesn't work like this for NHL GMs, but it kind of does also, if we give you August. Okay, you got a rough slog. You got free agency. You got the draft, and then you get to then you get
1: to unplug for a month or so. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's enough because if it's just... But can we, he do his job correctly if he's if he's given, I don't know. If, if you can literally turn your phone off as an NHL GM even in the slowest month of the year. And I get uh, everyone takes that month off anyway. That's But, you know, you do work on the roster a little you do. bit. You Those are, are watching it is, the Ivan Helenka. The shortest
0: wanna, answer possible to the question is it is a totally fair one, but I think it is also an unfair accusation level because he was emotional depressed. a press Yeah, conference. And, and, and it's no, not... Not not say, I'm accusation. not saying that's coming
1: from you. I am saying I've heard that elsewhere, yeah. though. I, I think it's worth like because you got to be all in. You got to be all in. And I don't think <laughs> I've heard would, that. I've heard that a couple times with this team. Funnily enough, <laughs> yeah. You don't. Y- yeah, you got to be all in. You have to be all in. And and there's a possibility that maybe he just can't be. Uh, and I think that is worth uh, considering, even though it seems like the Maple Leafs um, have made up their mind. Uh, one last news item here. Uh, we talked about the Arizona Coyotes situation yesterday. Apparently they are going back to their temporary location, which is Mullet Arena on the campus of ASU for this upcoming season. They will not be relocated, at least it seems, uh, for this upcoming season, 2023-2024. I want to get to Elliot Friedman sound because he did weigh in on the topic yesterday, and I do want to leave us with one question after we hear from Friedman. Uh, Friedman on the Coyotes' future and where relocation uh, might actually be if the Coyotes do move. I wonder if part of this is going to be the league forcing ownership to sell. That's just my opinion because everything is on the table. Now, if there is no local option with the Suns, then it's about moving the team. And I, I think the question becomes, are you moving the team now or do you feel you have enough time to go somewhere next year? Could you go somewhere next season, whether it's Kansas City or it's Houston or it's Salt Lake City, or it's Sacramento. I think it's likely one of those four cities, and we'll see where we go. But I think if they move, the biggest question is, is it now or a year from now? Okay, my question coming out of this, and and maybe this was a little bit dated because it seems like they will be there at least next year, Mm -hmm. and that does make sense. Like, this should not happen in haste in the same way that the Dubas thing maybe shouldn't happen in haste. Maybe it just shouldn't happen at all. My question now is, like... How desirable is relocation if you are a rich guy? Mm. If you're a rich guy that wants to own an NHL team, would you rather pay Just a go little less? Exactly. Are you going to pay a little less for a team that is kind of in tatters? Right. And that you don't get an organic build on. You don't get to, you know, drive up the naming sort of thing in the okay. contests and season ticket drive mm-hmm. and actually have the expansion draft and have the rules catered to you. Would you rather that? And I don't know how much less it would be, but we are seeing a sale right now for the Ottawa Senators yep. a, apparently go and exceed a billion dollars would you rather spend the billion dollars to start fresh Mm -hmm. or would you rather get the ready-made team that can be in your building for probably less? Yeah, probably. But again, if you're a rich guy, I almost feel like you'd want to go through the, if you have enough money to own a team and you're looking at Seattle and Vegas and being like, do we really want Arizona? So I, I, I understand what
0: you're saying. And I think from a hockey perspective, which is wild to say, I think you'd way rather have the Coyotes. They have so many young pieces. Really? But it's not the pieces, I should say. It's just... You're gonna like if we just look at this as what an ex- pieces do they Well, have? okay, it's actually just all the draft capital okay. that they have. It's Clayton Keller and uh, a bunch of thirteen-year-olds who will be drafted in the in the future years. But you're never gonna have that draft capital. We just saw what happened with Seattle, and look, hey, they made it to where they made it in the in the Cup playoffs this year. So I'm not gonna knock them. But we just had a year where we said, Well, expansion didn't go the way we thought. Old GMGM GM wasn't able to get it, or Ron Francis wasn't able to get in there and just extort people for first-round picks, and you know, Cody Glasses or and all of those types of things, and it's not going to get any easier the next time expansion comes about. So I totally understand your point of wanting a clean slate. You don't want the Coyotes' baggage, but I actually go the other way. If you are a rich guy who... Saves the Coyotes is weird because no one cares about the Coyotes. But what you do is you save the NHL from having to think
1: about the Coyotes. Mm. That is such a bigger boon for the league. <laughs> and I think you start from well, a. Why does that matter to them? Well, I mean, the thing that matters to them is okay, can I get this asset for way cheaper than it? Like, that's how rich guys do rich guy things. Yeah. They make good deals. And what I Would want, a good what I deal. want a cheaper asset
0: with way more draft capital? Yes, I would. Interesting.
1: I think from a branding thing...
0: No, no, bre- branding, what, marketing, starting fresh. I almost be feel like that's thing. more valuable.
1: Well, from what we've seen from Seattle and Vegas, I almost think that's more valuable. Yeah. it's it, it, I, we'll, we'll ask Friedman about this. Great question. Uh, we should go to break because we need to leave a little bit of time for the most live soundbite of all time. And I know this is oh. a new league. Oh, he's living it up. But this is the new... Yeah, living it up. Dustin Johnson, we will do that after the break. Sportsnet 590, the fat, 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 fat. Uh, Meredith and EG <laughs> uh, weighing in on our good job Sam debate. I guess oh, I could have got right into this good job no. uh, <laughs> Meredith <laughs> says are, am I might ask the question are we cheering for Kyle Rout- Lowry to win a title she's fully behind Kyle Lowry to win a championship he won his first Toronto we all know that he's Raptor for life another ring just adds to the pedigree in his resume adds to the future debate of who's the greatest Raptor ever I guess a little bit I always like seeing Meredith and E.G. on the text line. Of course. Uh, why do we're like talking sensually like the music? It's I need to get my regular well, voice I, back here. I don't here. even know if
0: it's that or that we were talking just to touch a PGA Championship in
1: the break. So we are like.
0: <laughs> yeah. And on the third tee, Justin Cuthbert will set up the
1: Dustin Johnson sound from Live. Okay, we've we've got to get the, to this because we are <laughs> quickly running out of time already. So when I think about Live, I think about Dustin Johnson, right? Yeah. Partly because first big name to commit, but also I think he embodies the benefits of the high-paying renegade (laughs) golf league unlike anyone else. More money, less golf, more fun, less pressure. The good life, not the grind. A lot more fun. So this sound, and more specifically, the source of his latest injury, feels like the most lived soundbite ever. Or at least the most harmless one. But it's one that we will leave you to interpret because we can't explain it on morning radio. Let's get to his... Commentary on his latest injury at the PGA Championship.
2: What'd you do to your back? What is I tweak just pulled a muscle. Lower back. Swinging a club or lifting no. up a kid?
0: <laughs> yeah, lifting up a kid. Just a, a bigger kid. <laughs> the
1: smile on his face That's really needs fight. to be I'm explained.
0: Done.
1: I'm done. <laughs> what? I, I, my only question for this is like, what is Wayne Gretzky thinking? What's what's Gretz thinking right now? Look, do you like this commentary? I, nobody's gonna say they love
0: it, but Wayne Gretzky was was on the Oilers, the '80s Oilers, and then he moved to LA uh, to be a game. <laughs> what does so, him
1: being on the '80s Oilers have to do with just, this?
0: Those guys had some fun. That's all. That's all. I think I'll say. I think that's safe to say. I think it's safe to assume that Wayne Gretzky living the life of a pro athlete is not. All surprised by that commentary. And in case anyone is unsure of what happened, go talk to your health teacher because uh, that—that's what's uh, what they're driving at. You're there.
1: saying Gretz gets it. Oh, Wayner, he knows. Wayner gets it. Wayner gets it. Uh, good luck at the PGA Championship, Dustin. One of the few live guys I like. Him
0: and Brooksy, only ones I like. So uh, good on them. Yeah. But- Jason Bukala, after the break.